Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and this is the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world, and we will be reviewing all of those trends uh, that we saw in our research at Telegeography throughout 2022. So this is going to be a two-part episode because I had so many conversations and I couldn't keep them as short as I needed to uh, because there was so much to talk about. Uh, but basically, I interviewed six of my colleagues across these two episodes on the major trends that they saw in their principal research areas uh, across the past year. So in the first uh, episode of this two-part series, I'm going to talk to my colleagues, Patrick Christian, Rob Schultz, and John Yembo. Patrick and I talked about the trends that we're seeing in both the kind of wholesale internet world, especially digging into the demand uh, increases that we saw during COVID and how that pulled back a little bit this year, and then talk about cloud on-ramp and region changes and where they're developments are focused and um, and what that's going to mean for those who consume cloud services. Uh, Rob and I talked about pricing for transport uh, a little bit on up into um, uh, services like WAN stuff, um, but uh, mostly about the that transport layer. Um, what was going on this year? Did we actually see price increases as we've been hearing so much about um, due to all of these inflationary factors uh, going on around the world. Um, John Yembo and I talked about some similar stuff in the data center world and got into some really interesting things that, uh, truthfully, I didn't know that much about. So hopefully you will learn about them too. But make sure that uh, you check out episode two as well, where I talk to some other colleagues um, about submarine cables, about SD-WAN, about uh, how telecom impacted global events. Um, and of course, I'll talk to myself about uh, the trends that trends that we saw in uh, the wide area network in 2022. So without further ado, let's get on to those interviews. Okay, so my guest for this segment is my colleague, Patrick Christian. Uh, Patrick was on the show pretty recently when we were talking about infrastructure development and mobile in Africa, but you're not here today really about Africa at all, Patrick. I am going to grill you on what has been going on this year, 2022, in the world of internet backbone, global internet geography, and then and then related to that, but a little bit different uh, cloud regions. So over to you, Patrick, what's going on out there? All right. Uh, let's see. For internet, talking backbone, um, we're past the 2020 COVID spike now. Um, mm -hmm. So we're getting back to the same IP bandwidth and, and traffic levels. So just to pause you there, in case people aren't familiar with like what happened, they, we saw a big spike in traffic in 2020 due to right. everyone having to move all their activities online and stuff like that. Has that subsided down to like baseline levels where it would have been growing or did we create a kind of new floor uh, so things are still a little bit elevated from where they might have been, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it's it's actually um, kind of back to pre-2020 growth. Got it. So it is, um, and I see what you're saying, 
it's back below that. It's mm-hmm. it, we haven't seen it. It's still growing, of course, but um, we're not seeing at the at the levels that it was you know, during. So during everyone the spike. has stopped having things like virtual conferences and all of that, and and we we see that in the data, right? So, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's still growing, of course, mm-hmm. um, and we're still seeing growth at almost thirty percent. So uh, you know, that's still very healthy growth. And that gets us back to to the age old thing. Sorry to interrupt, but that like we uh-huh. we constantly hear, okay, IP transit prices are always under pressure, um, and and the, a lot of providers are always like, how can I keep my business going? Is this but demand always stays a little bit ahead of what the the pricing pressure is, right? So, yeah, yeah, and we've seen. I mean, we've seen growth kind of dropping slightly over the years, but very very slowly. But um, a, a big part of this growth, of course, um, that also drives internet is the content provider growth. Mm-hmm. And um, if we look at the internet, and one thing we've been talking a lot about lately is, or for many years now, is localization of content, localization of traffic, where you're building out more, say, uh, cloud regions or POPs or CDN, et cetera. Um, you're localizing contact, so you don't need as much international capacity. And of course, what right. we track is international part. So um, many were thinking that we'd start to see a, a decline in growth. But no, it's still growing pretty steady. Um, yeah. But we still see similar, for example, um, uh, how the internet is set up in terms of hubs and spokes and where we're seeing mm-hmm. hubs of, of um, content has historically been... Uh, out of uh, U.S. and Western Europe and, and some parts of, of East Asia. And we see those would be the hubs for content. And then we'd see um, areas like Latin America, Africa, some parts of Asia that would basically um, be connected to Europe or the U.S. to to kind of get the content. And we thought as things started to localize a little bit more, we'd see a decrease in international traffic. But Right. Um, we don't really still growing. And in some markets, especially, for example, in Africa, where I always talk about what I work the most, mm-hmm. um, we're act- we actually see increase in growth um, because maybe there was so little content and there's mm-hmm. even though more um, content is cached locally, demand is growing because the Internet works better. So we're right. seeing international connectivity to Europe increasing as well. So mm-hmm. we're kind of seeing these these hubs. Um, still very important, like uh, for Africa, Europe is, uh, if we look at Africa as a whole, about 80% of the international connectivity is still to Europe, 20% is intra-African. And if you look at Latin America and US, um, it's very similar. It's about 80-20. But if you break it down uh, in a little bit more detail, separate North Africa from South Africa, um, we see different um, uh, something different happening, evolving. North Africa closer to Europe, so we see actually increase of connectivity for mm-hmm. um, content. So they're almost about 100% of the international connectivity is not to their neighbors, but to Europe. Whereas we see in Sub-Saharan Africa, it's been dropping over the last 10 to 20 years from about 80% down to about 60% as they start to connect within the region gotcha. and so got this cloud regions in in region and, and things like and and some of the traffic they're trying to get to is being created in region presumably too right correct so. correct the content we're seeing we are seeing content localizing of course mm-hmm. 
And we are seeing it um, affecting traffic patterns a bit and capacity patterns, um, but it's it's moving very slowly. Okay, mm-hmm. so we're seeing seeing the same thing in Latin America to to U.S. Um, certain parts of Latin America are probably rely more on the U.S. for content, but we're seeing more connectivity to say, for example, Brazil, because that's kind of the content hub for Latin America. Same thing in, in Africa, you see South Africa uh, in particular, as you see um, cloud data centers going in, more data centers being built, et cetera. We're seeing traffic patterns instead of everything going back up to Europe, splitting off and going down to South Africa as well. So we are seeing a localization, but international capacity levels are still growing, or I'm sorry, internet, internet growth is still you know high 20s, um, but mm-hmm. if you compare it to private IP networks of the content providers, they've been growing, you know, at a much faster pace over the last 10 years than internet has. Right. So, but we're starting to see that um, uh, drop too. If also one more thing, like if you look 10 years ago, um, about 90% of all used international capacity was internet. And, mm-hmm. and now only about 30% of all used capacity is internet. Mm-hmm. Um, 70% is content provider network. So wow. that's a, 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 another pattern we're seeing or, or trend we're seeing is a lot more is going on those private networks. But at the same time, internet still is growing at a very um, mm-hmm. strong rate of almost, 20, of almost 30%. And do you, do you see that slowing down, the content provider-driven traffic? Uh, uh, or do you think that's going to continue to grow at a, a fast pace yeah. as well? I uh, definitely seeing it slowed down, but of course, you know, it smarts, it starts at a smaller volume. So you right. see stronger growth at first and you see over time as, you know, as the market matures or as their networks mature, et cetera, we don't see as, as much growth, but I mean, even if you compare to five, six years ago, they were growing, uh, well above 50, 60, 70%, um, mm-hmm. um, per year, uh, in growth. And right. now we it's we can't see to, that anymore at these at these high numbers, right? So. Right, we're seeing it's getting closer to internet now, around forty percent. All right, so how does how does that then you you kind of tied this in already, but how does that relate more directly to what you look at as the principal investigator of our cloud and WAN infrastructure product, um, looking at uh, cloud region, cloud on ramp developments? What what happened there in twenty twenty two? Have we have we seen? A lot of uh, new growth there. Is it connecting any new regions? Anything like that? Okay. And now shifting a little bit more to the cloud and cloud regions. Of course, cloud regions have you know a big effect on the internet itself, private IP, but also on the internet because mm-hmm. where you see cloud regions go in, you see um, kind of an ecosystem grow, and you see right. a lot more capacity, a lot more internet as well, internet growth as well. Um, so in 2022, what we saw. Um, and now this is primarily, there are other cloud providers, but the ones that I'm looking at or we're talking about are the big three, AWS, Google, uh, Azure, and then also looking at Oracle and Alibaba. Um, mm-hmm. We see that these companies added 17 cloud regions in 2022, which is wow. actually one, one less than last year, um, right. 2021, and um, down about 10 from uh, two or three years ago, right as we we're coming out of COVID, there was a mm-hmm. flurry of activity. Um, but this is it's still, uh, if you compare to about 10 years ago, they were uh, opening up like 10 a year or something like this. So it's still right. growing pretty strongly, but it, it is slowing down in the number of 
uh, cloud regions that we're seeing coming online each year. Um, we are also seeing a focus on kind of uh, CDN or edge pops as well and local zones, for example, for AWS. Um, so in, in Azure, which the original architecture, they didn't have availability zones for their regions, like regions divided into separate zones. It was just right. a region. But now we see, we've been seeing the past few years, Azure um, building out availability zones within their regions. So we're seeing More that. Like the other providers had done, right? So. Correct. Correct. So, so, so geographically, about... take us through that. I know that for, for the past few years, a lot of growth has been focused on the less developed regions because it, it, there, there had been to kind of band across the Northern Hemisphere of, of, of are, is that still where you're seeing growth? Or are you also seeing new uh, instances in the already well-served areas as well? Yeah, I mean, of course, it started with more low-hanging fruit uh, through uh, 2010 up through the early 2010s. Um, you know, you saw a lot of where the internet hubs are, um, uh, U.S., West, Western Europe, and parts of East mm -hmm. Asia, and we have seen some growth. It's been pretty slow moving out of those areas, but we, we are starting to see it, and, and actually we see a lot of growth in Middle East. And if you look at mm -hmm. subcables coming online, et cetera, we see a lot of activity in the Middle East, a lot of cloud data centers being built out, um, and... Uh, in in 2022, like in, there are four data centers launched in in the Middle East. Um, mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean in these areas once these areas are starting to build up, they're not building anymore in the um, in kind of in North America, Western Europe. Yeah, that, that's what I was getting at. Are we still yeah, getting yeah. new on ramps? Oh yeah, in North America Definitely. and Western Europe, even even though obviously the the focus of the development is getting like the global Correct. south and less developed places yep. and whatnot. Yeah. Yep. 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 Europe had the most regions launched in 2022. There's seven ah, regions see. launched. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, but Asia still has the most um, total uh, regions. They have 59 in Europe, 45. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, a lot of this too is Alibaba has many um, data centers in China, so that kind of boosts right. the numbers up. So, but Asia and Europe are the, are definitely the big regions, um, and we've seen um, so growth there in Africa. Um, we there are, uh, three regions, four regions growing. Everybody and it isn't all over Africa; it's just in mm -hmm. South Africa. Right. So we see three of the main ones uh, that built cloud regions in uh, South Africa, and then Google announced that they will be uh, opening up a region as well. Mm. So, um, and once again, if we look at traffic patterns, once we see all these data centers starting to come in or the cloud data centers, we see traffic patterns change a bit. In Latin America, um, we're seeing uh, growth outside of Brazil because Brazil, they've there's been already done um, right. data centers there. Yeah, for mm -hmm. since 2010, from the very beginning, pretty much. Um, but now we're seeing in in Chile and Colombia, and then further north, a lot of activity in Mexico too. So, and I so, think only Oracle has launched there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if we had content development in Brazil, it was in the the sort of years around that that we saw a lot of submarine cable development. If you put on your sort of uh, predictive analyst hat for a moment. Should we expect to see some new infrastructure cable development on the west coast of South America because we have these new cloud instances? And yes, and we already have actually with Curie. Okay. 
um, with the. I have not been paying as it, much attention to that all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Curie, Curie came online in 2020, and it, uh, it's a Google cable, and mm-hmm. um, there are there was already a Google data center in Santiago, um, and then there are cloud regions. So yes, we do see kind of. At the same time, it's no coincidence that Google is building out where they're building out, building out sub cables where they're building out um, uh, data centers. Same thing you see in Africa, Equiano going up the west coast of, of Africa. Um, and now Google has announced that they're building a cloud data center in South Africa. So, and they already have some infrastructure, of course, in POPs in, in Nigeria and up the coast. So, Excellent. All right. Oh, yes. So, Patrick, just to... Close us out on internet and cloud. Um, what do you see happening for 2023? Like, are there are there major announcements that we should look out for? Um, are there traffic patterns that you you expect to sort of make any uh, interesting changes? What 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 are you going to be uh, sort of um, on the lookout for? Well, we're going to be looking at. Um, kind of the speed of how how quickly they're rolling out uh, these new cloud data centers with all the uh, uh, chaos and um, with the content providers at this time. Um, right. yeah, and, we, yeah. well, no, no naming names, but let's uh, you know just say that, that that some content provider plans probably aren't working out as as uh, as had hoped, right? So. Right. Yeah. Or, or slowing down because I mean, uh, just to maybe name names, but like, you know, with Amazon, AWS, AWS, um, revenues or profits drive Amazon. So you can't right. stop building out, but, right. um, so I do think, um, probably most of the content fires, of course, are going to be continuing to grow. There may be a slight slowdown for maybe a couple of quarters, um, but so we'll see how fast um, these new regions are opened up. But they're still announcing, and there's still 38 uh, cloud regions that are uh, in the planning mode that are mm. supposed to be launched over the next two years. So right, um, right. still a ton of activity. But we, we will see more growth and more, um, like I was saying, in Latin America, building out from Brazil out to the other regions. And we'll probably see in Africa within the next couple of years, two to three years, maybe it'll slow down a little bit. We'll probably see cloud regions in Nigeria and in Kenya. So we'll mm-hmm. see this building out of, um, you know, out of the main hubs into other, into the kind of growing markets. And then this will lead to, of course, maybe a shift in traffic where we'll see a lot more growth, internet growth as well in some of these um, markets that were more the um, emerging or developing markets. We'll see right. that. Right. So 38 planned over the next couple of years, and it looks like pretty similar growth levels to what we've seen over, over the past couple of years, which is always a nice, safe assumption. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And I think it's maybe worth pointing out that, that you can see all of this from the end-to-end ecosystem level that if there are, there's constantly ISPs rolling out fiber to the premises, 5G, things like that, that creates more internet demand for the services that are provided by the likes of Azure, Google, AWS, et cetera. And so then they have to respond with more regions. They know this. And so they're probably already putting region plans in place to to, to be able to meet that demand already, right? But um, wherever we're developing better internet, even in the US, there's a broadband plan underway right now, for example. Right, right. It's, It's kind of chicken and egg, of course. It's there... 
they know that, uh, as in, I'll take Africa as an example because I'm always talking about you Africa. Think about but it you think Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. see that uh, um, all the local access, either to end user connectivity, um, a lot of fixed broadband is growing, fiber to the home, fiber to enterprise, metro net, networks growing and being built out like crazy. And new carrier neutral data centers being built like crazy as well. It's kind of the gold rush time in in Africa for this. And this is all in anticipation of the hyperscalers or the content providers coming, you know, to put, have presence in these data centers and to serve all of this content to, you know, new end users, uh, new new enterprises and making business easier. And there's also the OTT or the um, content provider effect that once they move in, prices start to drop on certain, right. like on, uh, on, on capacity um, at Metro, but also international level. Right. And there's always that, that sort of latent demand that, that whether it's enterprise or consumer eyeballs or whatever, when they don't have the infrastructure in place, they still want the services. So as soon as, as soon as either end of the infrastructure is there, then then uh, demand will materialize and grow, right? Right, so. right. And once again, the Africa example, globally, if you look, um, uh, 90% of, uh, of broadband access is, is through mobile, okay? Mm -hmm. But only, um, or almost like 85%. But of total capacity or throughput, um, mobile is only fifteen percent. Right. So even though even though fixed yeah. broadband is is small number, it's you know eighty percent, eighty plus percent of total throughput. So we're seeing also as um, in Africa has very very small numbers for um, fixed broadband or fiber to the home, et cetera. You know, in the five to ten percent max. So once we see. And we are starting to see that, uh, you know, an uptick in, in build outs of, uh, of access to, you know, more eyeballs that'll, right. you know, increase demand as well. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, Patrick, that was really interesting. Thank you so much. I look forward to uh, maybe we can do something more specifically about Africa again sometime too, because yes. you love that. So. <laughs> <laughs> <I will>. Excellent. <laughs> That'd be great. All right. Okay. Cheers and, and happy okay. new year. That's great. Thanks, right. and to you too. See you, man. Bye. All right, now I'd like to welcome Rob Schultz, who's the research director of our commercial team, erstwhile known as, as the pricing team. And um, so, Rob, you have been covering essentially what's like layers one through three pricing uh, now all the way up into, you know, overlay services, which I'm going to talk about with, with our colleague Brianna later, of course. Um, but you've been covering this stuff for 20 plus years, <laughs> not, not to put too fine a number on it. but um, uh, And I dare say that this last year was unique among those 20 years uh, with the inflation factor. Is, is that really the case? I, w I would say so. I mean, I think, um, you know, every equipment costs certainly have gone up, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the knock-on effect 
on you know new cable builds, uh, new supply um, certainly has been impacted. You know, and I think you know there's this huge challenge to meet market expectations on price while still you know making margins that you were used to, right? So right. you know you can't have costs go up and prices continue to go down um, and make any money. So mm -hmm. I th that's certainly been a challenge, I think, to the industry. Right. Um, so it's always been the case in the past that uh, while demand was always very high growth, right? Uh, supply because of the sort of telecom equivalent of Moore's law and those things, you can get more bits across the same infrastructure. So there's always been this race um, of, of supply and demand that led towards price declines. Now, just because of almost like ancillary uh, supply factors, not really the technology, but, but literally silicon supplies and equipment and labor and all that, um, that, that has finally caught up with price declines. And, and do we, do we really see that manifested in the data? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think there's a couple of different factors that, that inflation of, uh, components certainly is a, is a factor. But probably a yeah. small one, right? Like, I think a very small one, yeah. actually, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at card costs and the total contribution of that to the cost of a circuit over time, it's relatively small. You know, mm -hmm. I think really the issue with the um, components and the availability of components has been in the aggregate availability of supply, right? So mm -hmm. the thing, the biggest impact has been with the supply chain issues is things like upgrades on new systems have been delayed and right. things like new cable deployments have been delayed. So right. because of that, what you mm. see is that, you know, the economies of scale that you achieved via upgrades right. were not really realized. And also I think the fact was that, um, you know, capacity that was available, people were trying to grab. So they were willing to pay a price rather than trying to push the price lower. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't available across all systems or all um, like submarine cables, for instance. So you really had to, you know, take what you could get in many instances right. and pay what the what the vendor was asking for. So, uh, you know, for the first time in my 20 years, I can say that, you know, there have been routes where prices have been stable. And, you know, actually, in some cases, some of the renewals are higher than they were two years ago, um, mm -hmm. just because somebody's willing to pay more. Right. right. So that that that's the first time in 20 years I can really yeah, say that. that that's um, really interesting. So so to summarize what you're saying, essentially, first, it's not so much the the that the cost of the actual components has been the driving factor, but the fact that the delays in getting the components have have curtailed expected supply increases. And then secondly, because there was this run-up in demand in 2020 for capacity, I talked about this with, with our colleague Patrick, um, that people bought all kinds of capacity at any price they could get their hands on, and that effectively drove the, the price in different directions than normal. Is, is that yeah. fair? Yeah. And I think what's really interesting is like the pipeline is very strong. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that when, when, a, when an upgrade is required, it gets scheduled and it takes a certain amount of time because the vendor supporting the upgrade has to deliver cards, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. That capacity, once it's... Um, I guess, tagged for deployment, in many cases, that's sold before it's actually activated. And we right. see that on, you know, Europe to Africa, we see that on Europe to Asia, Trans-Pacific, you know, 
pre-selling of upgrade capacity before it even exists is a real thing. Um, you know, probably to the detriment of some of the salespeople, they're happy to get it now, but then they run out of stuff to sell. So um, yeah, I mean, all those routes, we've definitely seen a r- real impact uh, on the availability of supply. And so then, so most of what you've been talking about here would be your currency of the realm, 100G waves, transport. Um First, what what does that landscape look like, and then secondly, how does how does that sort of uh, trickle up into into different services, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think for backbone networks, the thing that we've seen is hundred gig has become the currency of the day. You mm-hmm. know, we very rarely see people buying. 10 gig on long haul networks anymore, just because, again, you know, you're paying four to five times more for a 100 gig than you are a 10 gig. In most instances, that's kind of the multiple that we've seen down Mm -hmm. from sort of six Six a couple of years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that price compression makes it more viable to, you know, build your network at scale and give you the opportunity to sort of future proof it for a a short amount of time as you time, grow into right. that. And, and demand is strong enough that that's really easy to totally. To do, to I, I, right? And I think that is the um, you know the, the one thing you want to walk away f- with from here is that demand is still strong. I mean, mm-hmm. it's maybe a little slower than it was, but we're still talking thirty to forty percent in lots of right. different areas. I mean, thirty percent is kind of a minimum um, for gl- any continental global growth for international bandwidth and. Uh, you know, 30% on some of these base numbers is like a new cable system, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the requirements are still growing pretty dramatically. And, and, and I don't think that, I think that the view is that that will continue. So Right. And so if we say 100G is, is the currency of the realm, as it were, that's probably long been the case on like sort of transatlantic or something like that. Is that true elsewhere in the world as well now? It is, and almost surprisingly so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, we certainly expected on you know Europe to Asia, um, intra Asia, Trans Pacific. Um, that's kind of been the most important uh, circuit sale. Um, right. You know, U- uh, U.S. to Australia certainly has changed over the last couple of years to 100 gig. But we even see demand for 100 gig in Central America, in the Caribbean. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and um, and, and the carriers we talked to there saying it just makes sense because it's available, right? It, it just makes sense to jump to that next higher um, right. capacity. Uh, so then in a certain so. sense, that might take up some of the, the lack of price declines that we're seeing is if you shifted from the higher cost per bit for 10G waves to the lower cost per bit for 100G waves, even if the absolute price like the in, in your parlance, the MRC, right? The monthly recurring charge uh, for that 100G wave is the same as it was in, say, 2019. Uh, At a per bit level, customers are still paying less if they've moved from, say, seven 10G waves to a couple of 100G waves. Yeah. I mean, I think if you did the math, you you could see that. But I think... Mm -hmm. There certainly is a network migration, but, um, you know, I think just in general, when we see people uh, finalizing sort of their network configurations, it's all 100 gigs. And those 100 gigs support all the underlying services that they offer. You know, I think you mentioned IP transit. I mean, achieving a lower cost per bit is the goal, right? Because IP transit marketplace is, you know, high volume, low margin. That's the only way you're going to be able to compete. Um, And I think, you know, shifting to 100 gig 
at some point in time, 400 gig, right? Mm-hmm. Um, although we've not really seen a huge number of sales in that at that level. Um, you know, I think that's sort of where it's going. Ultimately, and, and I think, you know, one of the things you talked about price erosion today, you know, if you look on a per annum basis, um, this last year, price erosion has slowed, you know, almost globally, right? So mm-hmm. like transatlantic prices, we've seen sort of flattish, maybe 10 to 15% year on year. Trans-Pacific, that's probably the one to look at, um, which has been exceptional. You know, price erosion there has been less than 10%, um, wow. but you can attribute that a little bit to the availability of supply. There's a lot mm-hmm. of geopolitics with new cable systems crossing the Pacific and the ability to land and the ability to complete. So there's been a lot of pent up demand on that route and it's had to go through sort of existing cables. And the, mm-hmm. you know, the owners on those cables are like, well, you have to come through me. I'm going to keep the prices where they are. Um, Intra-Asia prices, we've seen you know, sort of less than 15%. And then you know, a universe where 20 to 25% is expected that expected that's kind of been exceptional um right. and even that you know one, one of the places where we saw supply really impact um price erosion was us to latin america you know i think the the say miami sao paulo route for 100 gigs fell you know i mean the last couple of years it was 25 to 30 percent per year right new and cables last, were on that route yeah, yeah and this last year it's been a little bit less I think that's less of a supply demand issue than it is, you know, um, people have what they need, kind of. There's kind mm-hmm. of a balancing out there, but um, but that's that's been an impact. Now, I think, Greg, the one thing I really wanted to point it out, though, yeah. is, you know, while I can say for the first time in 20 years that, you know, prices have been more stable, and in some cases, you know, you could find instances where maybe prices went up for renewals, Um it's really in the long term dependent on supply, right? right? So we see a huge number of new cable systems that have been commissioned that will come into service. And um, when those cables come into service, it'll create that imbalance again. There'll be a huge mm-hmm. or a significant number of new vendors, or not new vendors, but vendors with supply to sell, you know, and um, there'll be a lot more competition. Um, you know, and I think that is something that we want to point out you know that we're, we're in a holiday period maybe the next couple of years while this works itself through and we right. um are not yet at the rfs dates for some of these new cables you know i think it's a good good point for pricing and for salespeople. um going forward you're going to see a huge amount of supply pretty much in every region that's mm-hmm. going to have a knock-on effect so we so think it's enjoy sort of a, those cushy margins while you yeah can yeah and, I, well, uh, expect um the uh, declines to resume. Yeah, at that. some point in time, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and in some places, it'll be more dramatic than others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think one one market that we really expect prices to fall pretty significantly is in Africa. You know, one, there, there's a, you know, that's a market where we see some of the greatest growth rate for international demand. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of new requirements, but like currently there's a system called Equiano that's coming online, you know, and the number of fiber pairs are, you know, it's, it's more fiber pairs than were there before. And right. then there's two Africa, which is going to offer capacity into lots of new marketplaces. So sort of that step increase of supply will dramatically change it. And, you know, I want to say we, the the price erosion that we've seen of twenty percent certainly will resume in the, mm-hmm. in those in those routes, and we kind of think that it could be more than that. Um, so 
yeah, that that would be one I would point out. So we're um, always going to look back at 2022 and see a little bit of a flat spot on the curve, but then it'll otherwise look like it has for the last 20 plus years. We think so. Yeah. yeah. And, and we've spent a bunch of time sort of re- um, uh, reviewing our our forecast models, right? Sort of, mm-hmm. you know, marking to market what's actually happened, you know, and trying to anticipate, you know, when do those new cables come online? When is that new supply going to be available and going to impact price? So, um, you know, I think that's something that we hope to keep a better track of. Um, the RF date, RFS dates still are kind of shifting because there's so many new systems out there. And, and I'm right. sure Alan will talk about this in better detail than I can. But because the RFS date shifts further out, um, you know, because there are only so many submarine cable ships, right? There's, right. Many, there's only so many you can deploy at the same time. There's a competition for available resources. You know, maybe it's three years time, but um, it will happen, and we think that mm-hmm. price erosion will recommence. On the terrestrial side, which is kind of interesting, um, it's already really inexpensive, <laughs> I guess right, is the right. point, right? Like, I mean, 100 gig waves in Europe are super, super cheap. And, um, you know, you kind of see on the terrestrial side that becoming um, – Kind of standard world, and is that is that mostly a supply issue? So when you when you lay a submarine cable, there there are limitations of how many fiber pairs you can include in your little garden hose sized tube or whatever you want to call it. Um, whereas terrestrially, you could just dump fiber uh, in in ducts as as much as you want, essentially. Yeah, I think the the incremental cost to light a new wavelength is really inexpensive. Um, mm-hmm. You don't even there's not even like a truck move anymore. A lot of the vendors will ship um, you know SLT gear pre configured, mm-hmm. so you can it's a software activation, right? So you just turn on 100 gigs like that, you know, within a few hours. So I think. Uh, yeah, we, we definitely see super competition there. Terrestrial markets is places that you'll start to see a greater movement towards 400 gig, I think. Right. Um, you know, and the upgrades are easier to, to accomplish, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, that, that was a great review. Thank you very much. And um, now it's my task, I think, to relate that to what everybody else is going to tell me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, it does It does yeah. have a knock-on, right? Like, I mean, I, I know you're yeah. going to review some of the enterprise pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the transport pricing at layer one is sort of like the core of all that. Foundation. Right? So right. if you can move packets and frames and stuff like that at a lower cost, um, right. that will inevitably impact, you know, the cost of everything else. So. Right. So that's like the, the, the primary resource and uh, the, the manufacturing that happens to that primary resource is what we do further up the stack essentially yep absolutely excellent all right well thank you rob this was um, good fun and um i hope to have you on the show for a real thing next year so i hope to join you thanks All right, for this segment, I have John Yemba, who's the senior manager of our data center research. Uh, John is our expert on metrics about data center geography, capacity, connectivity, and pricing. And I'm going to grill you, John, about what is going on in data centers in 2022. Um, Yeah, so uh, what what have been the major themes this year? I mean, there's always so much going on in this industry. It's really hard to to keep up with everything at the same time. Uh, but, you know, I, for me, this year has been absolutely extraordinary. I'm sure for many people, it's been 
just beyond extraordinary uh, because of what we're seeing with regulation uh, in some of the biggest markets in the world right now. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing going on uh, related to the energy crisis in Europe due to the war with Ukraine. So those two things are just by far the, the biggest trends that I'm so, so what do you mean by regulations? You mean regulations of data, like GDPR kind of stuff, or what? No, this has to do more with regulations involving data centers. So a couple of years ago, this really started with uh, Singapore and the Netherlands, where mm-hmm. both in both of those areas, the government started evaluating the impact of data centers on land use and energy use. So we had some initial kind of halting of new development as they were sort of evaluating things. And then both of these jurisdictions came back to the table with uh, more stringent regulations this year. But then Mm -hmm. there was also a confluence of some things happening in other key markets as well. We started to see regulation um, uh, regulators taking a closer look in Ireland, in Germany, and that has really kind of accelerated uh, over the course of this year. and so as a result, you know, we're, we're seeing um, uh, a lot of soul searching as to what the industry looks like going forward. So, mm-hmm. I mean, and these are these are good changes. These are pr- probably very necessary. I'm sure they're very necessary changes as long as they're done right. But um, what it means is that there are going to be some significant growing pains in the short term. Right. And and if you if you design things to specifications to meet regulations in in one market, that tends to bleed over even into markets that may not have those regulations yet, but but likely will, I suppose. Yeah, and I guess one of the one of the problems in the early term is that as you have very core markets trying to make these changes and try to move in the right direction, mm-hmm. on some level, it's going to drive business elsewhere to places that are less regulated, right. um, which in the short term means that you know it kind of there's kind of a lag in the, the these necessary reforms for looking at long-term sustainability, but in the long term, um, the, the changes do come around. Uh, and certainly I didn't know there the gravity, was a, a yeah. race to the bottom in the, in the data center industry. That's well, really interesting. No, yeah. Not necessarily, yeah. but you know, it, it, there, there's certainly some scrambling. Um, and, and really I think what it, what it's a testimony to the, to the urgency of, um, market competitiveness, uh, mm-hmm. over and against, um, you know, re- reforms that need to be made um, because they're costly. Um, so right. you don't want to be the one making changes when all of your competitors can do things more cheaply somewhere else. So mm-hmm. it's going to, in the short term, it drives some of that business um, elsewhere. But in the long term, because of the data gravity in these really key markets, um, operators will be forced to make the changes, but on the same playing field, thus, you know, which will help with the competitive. Right. So it won't benefit any particular competitor, but it does make the competitiveness between metro markets different. It does. Yeah. So the, you know, just briefly, the situations in the biggest markets are really Singapore, uh, Germany, and the Netherlands. So, you know, some of the absolute biggest tubs in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, in Singapore, they're, they've got this pilot plan going now where they're allowing a very limited amount of new data center development while they're trying to figure out how on earth to move forward long-term with a very limited amount of space, very limited amount of power in an industry that uses a tremendous amount of both. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, 
as a result of that, we're seeing direct spillover into other markets. Right now, we're seeing a lot of development pushing into Malaysia, um, mm -hmm. right over the border into Johor Bahru, which is virtually connected to Singapore with gobs and gobs of fiber over bridges. Um, right. The but there's between. still a different, from my experience anyway, different pricing structure for IP transit, for example, and transport than there would be to Singapore. So that, that might be an interesting dynamic that people have to work through, right? So I'm sure it will be. Um, but, yeah. And that's certainly going to be a major challenge in the short term. But uh, I, I think as some of these changes are forced and as you see more um, competitors moving into these locations uh, with with fewer barriers to entry, some of those some of those uh, price differences will uh, will decrease. So have we seen yeah. any shake up as a result of this in terms of what the the biggest markets are and what how quickly they're growing? So I know one of the things you look at is, you know, for example, how much uh, square footage there's available, how much of it is leased. Ha has that dynamic changed because these changes have only happened in certain markets? So so for example, I take it that these regulations haven't hit the U.S. yet as much. Is that good for Northern Virginia, for example, or, or other growing data center markets? Yeah, in so I, it's, no, it, it could be in some ways, but the, the problem is that uh, these are locations that are absolutely critical, both from a geographic perspective and from a uh, uh, the data gravity perspective, right? So, so you so, can't you can't replace yeah, Singapore with something that's halfway no, across the world, of course, not easily. But, but yeah, yeah. And you see some of the you see some attempts to do that on some level. There's mm -hmm. I, it's definitely driving some dis distribution of data across a wider uh, number of locations, um, especially when you look at Singapore and, and the development scrambling across Southeast Asia right now. Uh, but and and there's talk about that in Europe too, but. Um, the <clears throat> dependence on these core markets is so uh, is so strong that that the, it continues to gravitate there. I mean, it's interesting when you look at um, uh, the German situation. Then, so another example. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of the regulation there has been specific to the Frankfurt um, city uh, jurisdiction itself, um, mm. and so a lot of development has just gone to the surrounding suburbs and exurbs. Um, but really? at the same That's time, really yeah. And, but, and just for the audience sake, Frankfurt is one of, if not the largest data center markets in, in Europe. Is that yes. Correct? Oh, it's yeah. absolutely one of the very largest in Europe, um, mm -hmm. right there with, with London and Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, uh, but so, so if you look at the development that's in the pipeline right now, um, about 70% of it is in the wider metropolitan market. Right. Um, the only, the only ones who are really developing right in the city are digital realty and Equinix right now. Um, with the exception uh, and this is where it's going to be interesting moving forward. They're trying to figure out how to to push sustainability measures. And this is true not just in Germany, but elsewhere, too. Mm -hmm. And by the way, the issue in Frankfurt has now gone to the federal level, which is now creating an Energy Efficiency Act, which could affect development across the entire country. Right. So. They're, the, the the big question that uh, that regulators are are wrestling with is what you know what do the data center operators bring to the table what they what can they do for us to help us uh, achieve greater sustainability in the long term, um, other than just you know taking taking massive amounts of resources what can they do to to feed back, mm -hmm. um, so they're actively working to craft uh, sustainability measures including um, uh, sharing waste heat 
which has been talked about for a really long time, um, but is really difficult to achieve and hasn't, you know, we don't see many successful examples of that yet. Sure. But um, but we but we're, we're starting to see uh, partnerships being built up. You know, a lot of these data center companies are owned by investment groups that also own energy enterprises or um, other types of or, or construction companies and can work together to kind of um, figure out figure out different facets of how to how to solve some of these problems so um, there, there are companies in Germany now who are tr- um, coming up with case studies to build um, within these regulations uh, using partnerships that they already have to mm-hmm. install solar panels on their roofs for right. less money than they would be charged, you know, if they were working through somebody else entirely or working with partners who can help them solve um, issues involving um, uh, sharing waste heat and so forth for for other for heating and, and other uh, types of buildings in the immediate areas. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but it's uh, but it's but we're very much in this um, uh, unstable um, period in between, um, mm-hmm. what's been and what's, what's going to be in the future. And it's in, it, and in a lot of, I think this we're, we're seeing a fundamental shift in how data center development is going to be going forward in some of these places. Yeah. Um, which kind of brings me back to, to a point I made earlier in the sense that, uh, sometimes this does not always work definitely. Cause uh, I, I, as your resident sort of law and economics, uh, dabbler, I can tell you that th- there are some cases where it doesn't work, but some cases in uh, regulations do spawn innovations that they're just the market hadn't had the push to enact yet. Yeah. Um, so, so if these regulations spawn innovations that are actually efficient, that actually work, that could spread again to, to markets that, that don't have the regulations even in place. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, and y- yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of this, we talk about innovativeness in the data center industry, quite a bit because a lot of it is driven by economics, um, trying mm-hmm. to do things more efficiently, doing things better. But, but there are some times uh, where the, the innovations uh, end up putting you at a competitive disadvantage in the short term and then mm. kind of getting that, 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 that playing field leveled via regulation right. can help spur that even further. Right. And then, you know, on a secondary level as, uh, as you uh, as operators in other places are seeing this happening and embracing for it to ha- happen in their own jurisdictions, it could spur private sector uh, movement in that direction right. as well right. in order to kind of avoid the situations that you're seeing in, in Germany and Netherlands and elsewhere mm-hmm. where the government might come in and try to level the playing field, but to varying levels of efficiency or, or, you know, with, 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 uh, with goals that are varying levels of realistic Right, um, right, so, exactly. and, and that's, that's really the big arguments right now. The, how realistic the are these goals? Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. So I want to touch before we run out of time here um, on something that you that you mentioned in passing at the start, which was energy crisis in Europe in in the U.S. Now I know our our you know crude oil barrel prices are down to somewhat close to to pre Ukraine war levels, but that's probably not going to happen in Europe in the near term. So no. what what's the impact there that you've seen? Yeah, it's it's uh, so I've been really nervous about what we're reporting on um, data center market pricing, mm-hmm. um, and I've spent a lot of time this cycle, and we're 
We're working on finalizing our data for this cycle, chasing down uh, our, our survey respondents and making sure I have a really good picture of what's going on. Um, the, the, have prices the short, gone up? Yeah. So the short answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. It's much more so in Europe than in the U.S. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here's here's where it's connected. Um when you look at energy prices in Europe, um, and of course they're they're directly tied to the underlying source of energy generation. Right. Gas accounts for natural gas accounts for thirty five percent of energy generation in Europe. It's mm-hmm. completely intertwined with um, those utility rates that they're paying. So the, the fact that they're completely transitioning away from dependence on Russian gas to finding other sources. Yeah, they're doing that, but it's still going to take a long time to build up the infrastructure needed to sustain that um, that 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 that, um, that decoupling from dependence on Russian gas. So there is going to be this period where the, those prices are going to fly upward, and and mm-hmm. this winter is going to be really hard. Um, and so the. the when it comes to the underlying data center pricing, though, co-location pricing, there really isn't a direct correlation. Um, it is absolutely affected by those energy rates. Those underlying energy rates is right. one of the very biggest things, but it's not a perfect correlation. And, mm-hmm. you know, as analysts, well, we'd like factors, to... factors, real yeah, estate development. And, and, and as an analyst, I would love footage. to come up with a neat yeah. story about how this all works, but it's, mm-hmm. um, it's it, honestly, it's kind of complicated. Well, um, even, even messier would be that the, does that impact cloud services pricing that has to yeah. live on all of these servers and all of that. My, my, my guess is that those are elastic enough that it, that it, that it won't in, in, a, in a way that we immediately see. No, but it's that's certain, right. Yeah. Not immediately, but uh, at some point it'll, it'll unravel and, and, and trickle down to that level mm-hmm. too in a very distributed fashion. That'll right. be hard to, that'll be hard to draw a line to. Right. Um, but, um, but what, what I'm, what I'm, um, Consistently hearing is that, especially starting January here, uh, we're going to see price increases in Europe for co-location of twenty mm-hmm. to forty percent. Wow, um, that's and a big in some jump. cases that's already yeah. started, and then yeah. it's going to escalate from there. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps in some cases on a monthly basis, which is wow. um, pretty alarming. It's going to yeah. be it's going to be a very rough time. The other thing though is that on some level those uh, price increases will be buffered or hidden within other fees to some level. So we're going to see some changes in, in cross-connect pricing too, which really has no bearing on underlying costs, but but it's going to it's going to absorb some of that. And we're going to see more of that in the US where where there are still other kind of localized competitive factors driving the market a lot more than the underlying energy rates. So right. we'll see price increases here too, but it won't be nearly as dramatic at least not yet. Mm-hmm. All right, so you heard it from John Yembo. Prepare your data center budgets for some changes in the coming years, and and it remains to be seen what kind of knock-on effects that has for the rest of the telecom cloud uh, network as a service, whole infrastructure ecosystem. Um, but I suspect there there could be something worth watching there over the coming few years. All right, John, thanks so much. That was really interesting and. I'll just put in a little plug that, of course, sustainability is good and we should want that for the industry, but we have to balance it out with uh, with all of these difficult factors, right? So. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. My pleasure, Greg. Good talking with you.
Okay, so I hope you all learned something in those interviews, even though I talk to my colleagues about this stuff often. I still was able to pick out a few things that uh, that I hadn't been following, and that's why I really like these conversations because there's just so much going on in so many different spaces, and yet it all works together into this really interconnected uh, ecosystem. I know those are kind of buzzy words, but it's because, you know, they are the words that really describe how all of this fits together, that um, you you can't understand uh, one type of network without understanding um, the the transport layers that go underneath the the, the data centers that that all of the uh, uh, servers and and interconnects are, are sitting in um, and all of these kinds of trends and so uh, I think it's it's great to get this review across different areas that we look at and put it all together. So make sure that you tune in next week where we're going to bring in, uh, like I mentioned in the intro, submarine cables. So we'll be talking about kind of the whole spectrum from the bottom layer, if you will, the submarine cables uh, that that transmit data between continents up to that kind of more top level in terms of layers one, two, three that we look at. I'll be talking about the WAN and my colleague Brianna will be talking about SD-WAN as an over-the-top kind of service. Then we'll put all of that together in in a really new way uh, for this podcast, certainly in a sense, and looking uh, with Tim Strong about when telecom impacts kind of more global events and and hits the non-telecom news to kind of capstone all of that off. So be sure you tune in and listen to that. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.